And today we're going to be looking at uh, the seventh day of creation. The seventh day of creation is the birth of Sabbath. And, and I want us to think through what Sabbath means for us in our modern context. And some of you, that might be a, a term that you don't think about at all or never have used. And I, I hope to bring some clarity around what it is uh, and even what it is not. And so I want to just begin with a quote from uh, Joshua Abraham Heschel. Uh, Heschel is a great Jewish theologian, uh, one of my favorite actual writers and thinkers of the 20th century. He wrote beautifully. Uh, in fact, he wrote his famous book, Sabbath, after only speaking English for 11 years, and he wrote in English, and his prose is better than many people that spent a lifetime speaking English. Uh, so. Uh, uniquely gifted thinker and writer. This, this quote is from his book, Sabbath, and he said, there is a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. Not to own, but to give. Not to control, but to share. Not to subdue, but to be in accord. Life goes wrong when the control of space the acquisition of things of space become our sole concern. Now what Heschel is getting at is that he argues that one of the chief issues of modernity is the loss of the sacred, uh, the inability to recognize that ultimate meaning does not come from the material world, uh, but it is the immaterial that gives meaning to the material. God is spirit, we are told, and no man has seen God at any time. The Son of God, Jesus, has come to reveal him. This is what scripture declares to us. That the creation of heaven and earth, we, in ancient cosmologies, heaven was also a, a, um, the meaning uh, of, of heaven uh, beyond just God created everything up there and everything down here is that all meaning comes from the immaterial, that which cannot be seen, the God who is spirit. And he speaks meaning into his creation. He spoke creation into existence. And so it derives its meaning. The things of space, that is the things that inhabit space, creation, us, the things that we own and possess and chase after, they find their ultimate meaning in that which cannot be seen, in God. This is the, the fundamental truth of ancient cosmology, that the God who is unseen speaks meaning into the meaningless material world. That God is the ground of all being. Now that may seem heady, that may seem abstract, but it's really not that abstract when we think about how quickly our lives become shallow and how quickly our lives um, become uh, disconnected and even fragmented when our existence is driven by our pursuit of meaning through the material world alone. And, and I would even go further than that, uh, when we live um, controlled by our appetite for what can be seen and touched and smelled and tasted, 
not only does it diminish existence, but it actually turns time itself into a tyrant that needs to be avoided or ignored. When we are controlled by our desire for the things of space, that is what is, what is material, and we ignore where the things of the material world derive their meaning, which is from God himself, uh, it, it actually, it diminishes life as we know it. And, and I would just argue this, that modernity in its rejection of God uh, has lost its center. Uh, and, I, and these are the kind of, these are, I was just making some observations of, because it's important for us to understand who we are and what we are products of in this current moment. Modernity has created an, an ultimate focus on mechanics over meaning. Uh, science is obsessed with trying to tell us how things came into be, but they are not interested in answering the why. And the why is the ultimate, the ultimate meaning. Yeah, okay, you've told me how, but why does it matter? And what we see right now is that with the refusal to, um, to consider the fact that we are not asking why is one of the great problems that we are confronted with, especially younger generations, where nihilism is, is reaching kind of a, um, a fever pitch in our society, an, an absolute meaninglessness in, in everything. Uh, and I have met many young kids that see zero value. I was just meeting with a young man um, who's struggled with deep, deep depression and anxiety, and really, the, ultimately, at the bottom of it was just a lack of any sense of why any of this matters at all. It seems like in all of our advancements, when we reject uh, the need for the why, um, it inevitably leads to um, a material-bound existence that will ultimately create despair because we know that nothing lasts, and that's a, that is a terrifying thing. I think not only is there a focus on mechanics over meaning, but there's an obsession with, um, an obsession with experience without understanding. And what I mean by that is, I, I was reading this book by Ian McGilchrist. Um, it's a tome, it's a long slog of a read, but it's profound. And it's all about the differences between the right and left hemisphere, uh, what neuroscience has come to prove are the actual differences rather than the fabrications of pop psychology at the beginning of the 20th century. And one of the great distinctions between right and left hemisphere is that the left hemisphere is where we get that analytical side of our brain. It's an obsession with the parts, but the left side of the, the left hemisphere is not capable of seeing the whole. Um, so engineering minds are very left hemisphere oriented. They can get into the details, that kind of almost pedantic um, ability to focus in on the, on the details of a thing. But the focus is not the, the whole, and the whole requires the more of the right hemisphere, which is that more artistic um, side of the mind. Not the, and by the way, he dismantles all of the false assumptions. Both sides have um, aesthetic abilities. Both sides have creative components, but there is a, there's leanings uh, on whichever hemisphere we tend to be more dominant. But the right hemisphere is absolutely necessary for understanding the whole. 
Uh, now, this is what is so profound about this. Uh, music, for example. Music is not made up of the notes that you hear or the, or the instruments that are played. Um, but music actually requires right hemisphere. An understanding of music requires right hemisphere engagement because it's not the notes, it's not, it's not the individual sounds, it's what, is, what uh, philosophers call the in-betweenness, the things that in occur between the notes uh, that creates song, which is why music is such a mysterious thing. Well, here's the point of Ian McGilchrist's book. Ultimately, what he is saying is that due to our technological age, that in really beginning with the Industrial Revolution, is that there was an increased, uh, an increased emphasis upon left hemisphere usage of the brain. And he argues that it's actually changed the way that we as human beings in the West think, that we have become left hemisphere dominant and we have lost our ability to see the whole. And I think he's unbelievably accurate. What he, what he argues is that we have a culture that is actually being created by autistic thinking. Which, and he doesn't mean that in an offensive way, if you have some, a loved one who is autistic or you yourself sit on a spectrum. What he means by that is that one of the chief ingredients of, of the autistic mind um, is the ability um, for high, high ability to see detail, but difficulty in the abstract concepts of the whole, which is why emotional disconnect and all those things. He's arguing that we are culturally becoming that, that it's actually creating an, a legitimate shift um, in the human brain um, because we've become so left brain dominant. We don't see that we don't see the, the whole, uh, we don't see the forest through the trees is the problem. I would argue that that is, that plays deeply into the point of Sabbath, is that we don't understand the sacredness of time. We see time as the enemy of our existence. Time is, uh, time is this elusive thing that consistently reminds us that we're getting older, that we're moving closer to death, uh, that we either it's going too slow or it's going too fast. I actually, in my final chapter of my book, I, I talk about my dad's obsession, his terrifying uh, obsession with, with, um, with death, his fear of death, is what led him to drink himself to death. And his, his desire to escape the fear of the inevitable, instead of embracing that time is all you have, he tries to escape time only to have his time shortened far beyond what it should have been. Uh, a man that dies at 69 because he's trying to escape death by drinking himself to death because he can't handle the fact that time is playing itself out in his life. And this is why I always say that time is, all I can say about time is it, it, is, uh, the, it is the space between the appointed beginning and the appointed end. <laughs> and Jesus holds the key to both. But here's what is important about the text that we're gonna get into and what Heschel's trying to say is that when we focus on space alone, that is on the material world alone, and we ignore the sacredness of time, because time is actually all that you have. And the ability to enjoy a thing, if a thing does not bring meaning to a moment, it is the moments that bring meaning to things. And we have reversed that order. 
and it's deeply problematic. Uh, I, I would also say that um, one of the ways that modernity has eradicated our understanding of the, the need for symmetry between time and space is that it's created a nervous busyness. I think our age is marked by um, an anxious spirit, um, a nervous um, busyness that we utilize to escape what we view as the terror of time. Um, the pursuit of material meaninglessness instead of immaterial fulfillment and purpose. Uh, I, I know this, I, I even had this happen, this is a classic example of like, and some of you know this, the distracted mind, how easy it is to become distracted with our devices. My device, my iPad is also my, it's my, what I listen to music on, what I make music on, what I read books on, what I listen to music on, what I receive my emails on, what I watch TV shows on, uh, it's all of those things. A lot of those things are really good things and some of those things are reels, not so good for me. And I, I have been trolling Evan hard. I just send him really obnoxious reels to mess with his algorithm, um, which is a really fun thing that you can do to your friends. So I just send him like reels that he would never, I'm like, and he opens it and he's like, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't help it when someone sends it to you. It's like a, receiving a mysterious package that might explode or not. You don't know. But, I, but I, I, was, I was thinking about this. I was working on this message earlier in the week. And I was, I, was reading, I was reading some Heschel. And then I was looking up a word. And then that word led to a thought about something else that had nothing to do with the message. And before I, before I knew it, an hour was spent investigating a thing that I would like to purchase. <laughs> when I was writing a whole sermon on the danger of being controlled by our obsession with what Heschel calls thinginess, <laughs> our, our obsession with the material world at the expense of, of the spiritual, which is what feeds meaning. Everything is spiritual, everything is. And we can't separate the physical from the spiritual, the material from the, from the immaterial. Um, but we do a really good job of, of avoiding the, the immaterial um, and avoiding the, the, the spiritual meaning of life. And what it does is it diminishes our relationships, not only with God, but with one another as well. So I, would, I want us to be thinking about this in terms of, of this idea that, that Sabbath is established by God as a means of reminding us that God is in control of his narrative, that God, as we see in the creation story, was not only satisfied with his creation, but he was able to see the whole uh, and see the symmetry in things. And we as his children, when we enter into Sabbath rest, it is meant to produce in us the ability to be satisfied with the fact that we have received the greatest gift we will ever receive, and that is God himself. Our satisfaction is not found in the thing, ultimate satisfaction is not found in the things of this world, and when it is ultimately placed upon God, the things of this world actually take their proper place and we are actually able to enjoy them because we understand the symmetry of existence. 
Sabbath brings satisfaction and symmetry, symmetry to existence. Sabbath also brings rest um, and trust. It is a picture of ultimate trust. It is recognizing that there is a time to put away the work um, because life is not going to fall apart if you don't do what you think you ought to be doing right now. And that there is, there is times where God just wants us to rest in Him to remind ourselves and be witnesses to the world that we believe God is ultimately in control of his story and that his intent is good. Um, and then finally, I want us to consider Sabbath as, as a source of sanctification and renewal. So let's begin with Sabbath as satisfaction and symmetry. We're going to pick it up here in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1 um, through chapter 2, verse 1. And God saw all that he made, and it was very good. Now, again and again, the scripture declares that God, God created the light, and he saw that the light was good. And he called the light day, and he called the night, or he called the dark night. And he's, he created, he created the, 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 all that is in the world, the, the vegetation, the animals, and every time, it's good. It's good. It's good. And then on day six, we have this profound statement. He saw all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. It's very good. Now, that word, good, I've often stated that it's one way, like, the, the scripture is declaring that it is what God intended it to be. When he created it, spoke it into existence, he gives, the, he gives the material meaninglessness. Remember, the world is chaos, um, and the Spirit of God, the immaterial meaning, the Spirit of God hovers over the chaos, the material meaninglessness, and he speaks meaning and order into creation. It's a profound picture of ancient cosmologies, that God is the, the God who is the source of all meaning, the ground of meaning, the ground of being, actually speaks meaning and order into the material meaninglessness. Uh, he gives life meaning. Um, but I think that this is even more important for us to understand is it's not just simply God speaking meaning into a thing and creating what he intended, but it's actually him being satisfied with what he made. There's an aesthetic component to God's creation that God doesn't just create it and it's what he intended, but he enjoys what he created. There's an enjoyment of his creation. And us being image bearers of God are meant to enjoy, to find a satisfaction in the world that we live in. Now, we recognize that it's complicated because we live uh, on, on the other side of the fall. Uh, and so we can recognize that there is so much beauty in the world and at the same time, there is also a sense that it's not all that it's supposed to be, that it, that it, that it could be more, <laughs> that it maybe once was more. I think there is that strong sense that humans have destroyed the earth, and it is true that the command upon human beings to subdue the earth, our attempts to subdue and to rule over, the, over God's creation as good stewards was greatly hindered by, the, by sin. sin makes subduing a tyranny 
um, of the human experience. Everything we try to do that bring good somehow has an underbelly that maybe brings more death, more problems. Every advancement has an underbelly and consequences. It's like medication. It's like you take this medication, it's going to fix this, but it might, you ever watch those ads? They're so funny to me. They're like, they're like, it'll be like, man, this is, this is the best pill I've ever taken. And then there's like the disclaimer at the end, you know, it could, it could cause this. There was a, there was a really funny SNL skit about, um, uh, that my wife's favorite SNL skit of all time, where it's the um, annual, you guys ever seen that one? Where the woman just has to take one pill, uh, one pill uh, a day um, filled with many hormones and she will only have one period a year. And they're like, but when that period comes, hold on to your hat. And then it's like the women just going crazy when it goes like axes coming at her husband, like this woman like grabbing her child's birthday cake and eating the whole cake. <laughs> and then it says, and then there's the disclaimer at the end of the ad and it says, may cause you to give birth to a fire-breathing demon. <laughs> like, I just love that because that's actually pretty accurate to every medication pill. You're like, oh, this will solve your heart. This will, this will take care of your, your high blood pressure. But, you know, it also, you know, could cause cancer. Uh, all paths lead to cancer, by the way, it seems to me on the internet. But I, I think that this is the nature of human domination. Every attempt to solve a problem in the fall leads to new problems. But the intent is actually a part of God's good design. He intended for us to be co-laborers with him, ruling over this world. He is satisfied with the world. And we see the beauty in the world. And we sometimes just enjoy things because they're beautiful. We do that because that's what God did with his creation. And at the center of his creation is, is humanity. In fact, it's not until he creates man and woman in his, in his image does he make them. Humanity, mankind, humankind. This is at the center of what God says, and this is very good. I take great satisfaction in this. It's what I intended. And it says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So there's morning, there's evening on the sixth day. It's all very good. He has finished the work. It's important for us to keep that in mind. When we think of Sabbath, I want you to think of Sabbath as a time to reflect on the goodness of God, the satisfaction that we have in the fact that we are his children because our dissatisfaction often flows out of our obsession with the created world rather than, and, and it, our dissatisfaction flows out of an unwillingness to take time seriously and our inability to manage time. And so what we end up with is we are controlled by the tyranny of, um, you know, the moment and all of a sudden you've gone through a week and you've never even given space to reflect on the fact that God has called you to be his own, that you are an image bearer of the living God. And why we need sacred time is because time is the, that there is a time that needs to be set aside for us to be reminded of why we do 
the work that we do. Now, I want you to keep in mind that when the Sabbath command comes, it says, six days you shall work, and on the seventh day, rest. So, Sabbath rest is assuming six days of work. That's also good, because for some of you, you're like, I feel like five is a much better number. Um, and I agree. Uh, and the point isn't, this is, this is where the Jews went wrong and what Jesus was constantly after. He was never trying to dismantle the Sabbath. What he was trying to dismantle was a misunderstanding of the Sabbath. The, the religious leaders had taken the practice of Sabbath, how you practice Sabbath, what you can and can't do on Sabbath, um, and that became what was important, not not the reflection of God's gracious creation and his, in his uh, keeping creation moving and everything under his control. It wasn't driven by a trust in God's goodness and his concern for his creation. It was driven by a keeping of the law um, and, and in, in doing so, a losing of the lawmaker. And this is what Jesus was combating. The, it never said that you can't um, that you can't pick a grain on the Sabbath. That was, that was, those were added laws when Jesus was attacked for picking grain on the Sabbath. It was never, it, it never said that you can't heal or what Jesus said. It never says anywhere that you can't do good on the Sabbath. In fact, the Sabbath was meant to be a place where you're not thinking about self, but it is a time where you're thinking about God and others. It was meant for the community to remind, for us to remind ourselves that there's something bigger going on than just the toil of our day-to-day -day lives. So Sabbath is a place in which we are reminded that we are God's handiwork, that he is satisfied in our trusting him, that he, that he, that he wants us to have a symmetry in life. And I think that one of the things that happens when we actually take space out to reflect on who God is and who we are in the light of who God is, is that it brings the ability um, to enter into what Ian McGill Chris was talking about, is the ability to see the whole and not just the parts. Because I think we can lose sight of the whole really easily. That we can become so fixated on what's right in front of us. It's like Peter walking on the water. It's like he can't, he, he, he becomes obsessed with the waves, so obsessed with the, the threat that he's incapable of seeing the Savior who's there and in, in, has invited him to walk through the storm to him. He loses sight of, the, of what actually mattered. The, the, the storm was not what mattered. What mattered is the one who, who uh, was trying to show Peter that everything that threatens to be over our heads already is under Jesus' feet. And this is what Sabbath does for us is it brings us back to a place in which space and time have symmetry in our lives and we begin to see the sacredness of time as we know it. For each man, there is appointed a time for death. There's a time to live and there is a time to die and then comes the judgment is what we're told. In other words, what we do with time matters. And time is a sacred thing. I know this 
so fully this idea of satisfaction and symmetry as a component of Sabbath. I wish I would have understood Sabbath a little bit better when I was younger because you hit 50. And you know what a midlife crisis is? Do you guys, some of you have gone through it, you know. Some of you have not hit it. Some of you feel like you're in it and you're in your 20s and I promise you, you're not in it yet. Uh, uh, Midlife crisis is not a dissatisfaction with life. A midlife crisis is the realization that you keep thinking that you've got time to, to, and that it's going to get better. And it's going to get better. And you keep waiting and you're like, the next thing, it's going to be better. Like next week, it's going to be better. Next year, it's going to be, if I just get through this year, it's going to be better. And then all of a sudden, your kids are grown and they leave. And, and in and you're sitting there and you realize the best has probably already come and gone. And I missed it because I was always waiting for the next thing. I was held by the tyranny of, of personal pursuits that robbed me of the ability to actually enjoy what is sacred, which is the moments that we have with the people that we love. But we lose those things. So the midlife crisis is the recognition that you're a bell-shaped curve and there is a, there is a ceiling and you're not going to get better. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, oh, the things that really matter have already, like, I've already been at my physical prime. I've already had the enjoyment of my kids and I didn't enjoy them the way that I should have. I didn't take advantage of the moments that were sacred because once you get older, time starts to go by a lot faster. It is weird, too. It really goes by fast. When I think back in 1991 to 95, those years seem eternal. But now they just seem like I blink an eye and another week's gone by, and then another week, and then another year, and then it happens, and you're halfway to dead. And I just want to encourage you with that today. <laughs> Be encouraged. Some of you are more than halfway to dead. But it's a reality, and the death rate is one per person. Sabbath is the ability to pause and reset and find our satisfaction, not in, in a false hope in the future, but in the ever-present God who is ready to meet with us the moment we just stop and look up. And when we actually take the time to, to pause when we look up, it gives us the ability to really truly begin to look out and enter into life with a, with, a new, um, with a new ability to enter into the toil of living, because life is not easy, but to enter into it with a strong confidence that the best is yet to come, and with that confidence is actually the ability to enjoy the moment. As we await eternity with Christ, when we enjoy heaven on the way to heaven, that's when we're beginning to get it. And I think that we do not do a good job at making time sacred. We view it often as an enemy. What about Sabbath as rest and trust? In Genesis 2.2, it says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so that on the seventh day he rested from his work. God didn't rest because he was wearied. God rested because the work that he had done was finished. Now, most things in our lives is an unfinished event, and that's just a reality. 
and, and that's okay. Ministry is one of those strange jobs. Like, there is nothing, I was talking with my, my buddy, um, Chuck, who spoke here um, a few weeks back, and he owns uh, several FedEx delivery companies. And he was like, dude, you should go out and drive as a FedEx driver for a couple days. It's so satisfying when you've been a pastor. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because you just load up the truck, 250 packages, and you drive those packages, and you, you drop them off, and then, you, and then you bring back an empty truck, and you're just like, yes. And it's like ministry, you meet with one person, and you realize, yeah, that's just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? <laughs> and you know who you are. And, and I'm happy to, to keep chipping away <laughs> with you. <laughs> Just as people are happy to keep chipping away with me, but the, the, human, the human story is never there's, never, there's no finish to our work. Um, what I love about this passage in Genesis 2, 2, is that we are placing our trust. God establishes the day of rest to celebrate his completion of his work, his satisfaction with his creation, his enjoyment of what he has made. But we being image bearers of God, God has written the need for rest into the fabric of creation itself. Everything needs rest. Everything needs rest. And, and here's the thing. It's not just rest. It's not like, it's not, when we think of Sabbath, it's not like just taking a day off. Because it, it is, it's supremely connected to the word trust. This is the thing that I found where I have created, and Evan and I have talked about this in great detail, is that I have had moments where I feel like I've got to keep working. And, and I will say this, sometimes it's scary to just be still. And sometimes it's scary to be alone with our own thoughts or the absence thereof. <laughs> um, sometimes the silence is, is deafening. Sometimes the stillness is when we get still enough where we can begin to actually see, oh my gosh, like these are issues, these are areas that need work. But here's the beauty of, of, Sabbath, of, of Sabbath, is that Sabbath is meant to produce in us a trust that A, whatever work we think we have to do, how often for you, if you're anything like me, or even like Evan, where, where a, a tremendous amount of our, our, our purpose and our value and our meaning comes out and even our identity can be deeply wrapped up in what we do. And it can become actually more important to us than who we're identified with. Um, this is why I always say that ministry is extremely dangerous because you're serving Jesus, but it is very easy to lose Jesus in our service to him and to his people. Uh, because our identity isn't actually in our intimacy with Christ. It becomes, our identity becomes wrapped up in what we do for him or what we think we do for him. Uh, and that's not what Jesus' supreme goal is in our lives. And work can often become the ultimate, um, this, I think this is a great issue for many people, is our identity is wrapped up in our jobs. And it becomes an idolatry of sorts. And when our identity is wrapped up in our jobs, the, the problem with that is that uh, what about when someone else comes along and is better at your job than you? Or when your job, what if you lose your job? 
or what, what, are you, what are you putting your identity in? Here's the thing that this creates, is that Jesus is saying, are you willing to trust me with your life and are you willing to let me be your full identity? And are you willing to, to actually rest in me even when everything around you is restless and chaotic? Are you willing to, to, to stop and to pause and to be able to thank me when everything in the world seems to be even functioning against you? The, the beauty of Sabbath is, is, it, is, it, is it helps us to re-engage with, with the spiritual meaning that is necessary for success in a material world. I want to be infused with divine meaning. I want to be struck. I, I watched the final interview with Heschel and it was so beautiful and so profound. He gave in 1972, you guys should watch it. Um, he honestly, I still have a hard time getting around my head around the idea that this man rejected Jesus because he, he, he thought and talked more Christian than most Christians I've met. Uh, he had an unbelievable um, understanding that the ultimate goal of, of, um, of existence is intimacy with the living God. And he believed that with all of his heart. And he was talking about, he said, he, he goes, I hate that um, people misuse that verse in Ecclesiastes. Um, there's nothing new under the sun. He goes, that's not true. He said, because when you actually allow time to become sacred, and you, and you remind yourself that there is a God who is present and available, it has the ability to transform every moment into something that has the power to surprise you. And he was a man who lived with a constant state of wonder, and he survived the Holocaust. I mean, this isn't a guy that went without trial. He, he, he came to the States after World War II. He, he lived through some of the worst things that humans have ever done to other humans in human history. And he is a man who ended his life marked by the singular word, awe and uh, wonder, awe and wonder to find him. He actually, he, he wrote a book about wonder, the ability to be surprised. And it's because he understood the sacredness of time. And he understood the beauty of Sabbath. It was very dear to him. His masterpiece is his book called The Sabbath. But Sabbath is a time in which we stop putting our trust in ourselves and we pause to be reset in our trust of God's ability to finish the story that he has begun. And it doesn't matter how dark the days go. This is one of the saddest aspects about the pandemic is that Christians actually forgot that God was still in control. They forgot that the story actually has a pretty amazing ending. We also forgot that God said it was gonna get really dark before it got better. And I think that when we actually enter into a space in which we set aside time for God, it allows us to, to anchor ourselves in that great hope. And it's what increases faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Remember what I said, faith is not just you believe God exists. Faith is a disposition of trust. It's actually making time to be in relationship with this God, which is where our rest, where we are truly refreshed. Because I know what it's like to take days off and not come back refreshed. We need real rest and we need, it needs to be marked by real trust. Finally, 
Sabbath is sanctification and renewal. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. This is a fascinating thing because it says, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The seventh day is the only day that has no beginning or end. It is a day without end. More than that, it is a day that is declared holy. Time takes on a sacred meaning in this moment. Holiness in time is something that we need to understand. That God has created time as we know it as the very vehicle by which we enter into intimacy with him. It's the very vehicle by which we can change either more and more into his likeness or we can grow in our distance from him. But there is no static position. Time moves whether we like it or not. And the question is, is will you allow the holiness of God's time and space to be the thing that defines you? This is why we should set aside. I believe, I believe the Lord's Day, which for us, the, uh, the first day of the week, Sunday, uh, became traditionally the church's Sabbath day, um, marking Jesus's, the, the, the life and death and resurrection of Christ. That the purpose of Sabbath is not you in isolation with God, but it is you in community reflecting on God. This is one of the reasons we've established the idea of Sunday morning as a time for us to come and worship um, Jesus and witness to his beauty and why Sunday evening is a time for us to come and learn and just be a people of the word. We want Sunday to be the Lord's day. <laughs> we want it to be a place where you spend the day not only with God, but with his people. Instead of your Christianity being you compartmentalizing and say, I went to church and I got that out of the way. That instead you actually begin to believe that being the people of God is actually the most important thing about you. It's the most important thing about us. And we can't say we love God and refuse one another. And Sabbath is a place in which we together pause and rest. It's a place where we enter into the sanctification that comes through intimacy with God. It's a place where we find renewal because I need every week to be reminded of who I am in Jesus or I drift so far. It doesn't take any effort to drift. Drifting is the easiest thing. All you have to do is just let go. But Sabbath rest, is actually a discipline, I would argue, and a holy one at that. The ability to cease from all of our busy work. Some of you have a real hard time putting your work aside. You will probably find a way to go home and work today. <laughs> uh, and, and you do it because it, it gives you value. And work is valuable, it's beautiful, but it is a tyrant when it's dislocated from the God who brings rest. And it's a tyrant when you never allow yourself the ability to hold still long enough for God to tell you he loves you. And he loves you. And I want you to know that today. And that's why I want to just close with this simple, this simple connection. Because we're not talking 
about the gospel unless we're talking about Jesus. And it's easy to get lost in concepts of time and space. I hope you understand when I say space, I just mean the material world, the things you touch, the things you see, the things you can experience with your senses. And when I talk about space in this message, I am talking about the immaterial world, which is the God who is spirit and the one who actually breathes meaning into the material creation. And he breathes meaning into our lives, but we've got to, we've got to create the space for him to do so. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus who said of himself that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. In Matthew 11, verse 28, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Hebrews promises that there is a rest that is without ceasing in Hebrews chapter four. And I would tell you that Jesus himself is that rest. The God who is spirit come to us in human form. That which we have seen with our eyes and which our hands have handled concerning the word of life, John writes of Jesus. He's like, this is the God who has come down to us in our brokenness. And he knows that we are restless in this fallen world. And he wants to bring us back to a place where we can be satisfied once again by discovering that we were created for him. And that our joy is wrapped up in knowing him and walking with him. That our satisfaction is not found in the pursuit of acquisitions but our satisfaction is found in the sacredness of time that comes with intimacy with the living God, knowing him and truly knowing one another. Jesus is inviting us and he says this verse and the reason it's one of the most popular verses and popular things that Jesus ever spoke is because we all know how desperately we want rest. I find that even when I'm resting, there is a restlessness in my heart and mind, the difficulty to calm down, to be still, to just listen to that still soft voice is a very real problem for me. And I can only imagine if it is for me, it's probably a problem for most of you. And this is this because we are inundated with activity and noise and meaningless chatter of the false gods of our world. And we need to realign ourselves in a way that we can hear once again the voice of the one who says, come to me, all you are weary. I want you to note too, that Jesus and the cross and why Christianity um, is, is so different than any other world religion is because its founder is also its content. <laughs> and he is, he is the one who declares this new reality, this new possibility of intimacy uh, with God and says that he himself is that source, that he is the door, um, that he is the shepherd, that he is the path, that he is the beginning and the end, that he is the nourishment on that path. And on the cross of Calvary, this, and I love that the last two words that Jesus spoke before he died align with this statement about the God who established the seventh day as a day of rest. Remember, he completed his work and then he rested. What did Jesus, the last two things that Jesus said, and when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. There's nothing that needs to be done that hasn't been done in Jesus in regards to our salvation. 
and the possibility of real intimacy with him. Everything that needs to be done has been done. This is why we are not saved by our works, but we are saved by faith in Christ alone. And his grace is his one-way love that comes to us, and it comes to us freely because God has freely given himself over to our brokenness, and he has finished the work. That is, he has finished completing the work that it was necessary to set right what we put wrong through sin. It's finished. And just like the Father, just like on the seventh day when God ceased from his work, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, it says in Luke 24, 46, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. None of the gospel says that Jesus died. Isn't that interesting? That the account is that he surrendered his spirit, that he breathed his last. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That is not the words of one who has been defeated, but that is one who has finished the work, is satisfied with the work for the joy that was set before him, which is you, he endured the shame in the cross. And he is satisfied, it is done, and he just simply surrenders himself into the hands of his Father, giving us once again an example of what the purpose of Sabbath is, to trust in the God who loves us and has met us in our brokenness through his son and to lay ourselves into his arms like a child lays himself into his father's arms. This is the beauty of the gospel and this is the beauty of Sabbath. And I pray that you would enter into it with me, that you would make the Lord's day the Lord's day. Put aside your work and your busyness. Can you give 24 hours to Jesus? <laughs> And say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put aside all the stuff that, 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 that creates chaos in my mind, and I'm gonna make this day a day in which I truly reset myself for each week, that I could live in this beautiful um, understanding of the whole, that I am, I am a, a person who lives in the sacredness of time because the God who is holy is with me in time, in his creation, and I have not lost sight of him in the midst of all of the chaos that is around me at all times. This is the question that God would place upon my heart and I pray he puts it on yours as well. Are you resting in him? Amen? Let's pray.